Today's daf is daf Samach Beis. We are holding four lines from the bottom of Samach Aleph Amud Beis, beginning of a brisa. Tan Rabbanu, we learned in a brisa. Hamadlikas Hagadish Someone caused a stack of grain to go on fire, and there were hidden in the stack there were vessels. So we had a machlokas yesterday from Yehuda Omer Mishalem Komash Hayavasechay. The Yehuda says Yerchaya for Tamun. And uh, therefore, those vessels that are in there, you have responsibility of liability on the vessels as well. Chachamim say you are exempt based on psukim, that you are exempt from the payment for things that are hidden. So therefore, whether it is a stack of, of wheat, you'll pay for the wheat, or a stack of barley, you'll pay for the barley. However, this is a nuance that is an interesting nuance. Let's say the vessels formed a cavity within the stack. Now, we cannot hold you responsible for the vessels, but the fact is that you are higher for the whole stack of grain, so we view the cavity as if it's filled with the grain that you are liable for. So let's just, just throw out some numbers. Let's just say that the cavity, if it's filled with the vessels, it's, that would have been uh, uh, $500 worth of damage to the vessels. But now, remove those vessels and fill them with grain, it's $50 worth of grain, you will be paying the $50 worth of grain, even though there's no grain there, but the exemption from kale means we can't view it as if there's kale there, but we do view it as the item that's on the outside of which you will have to pay. Clear, Adam? Yeah, yes. So therefore, Rowan, Malcolm, Kalim, Ki'iluhum, we see the place of the formed by the cavity that has the vessels in it as if it's filled with grain. Now, this is a key point over here. Under what circumstances do the Chachamim exempt you from having to pay for something that is hidden within the stack? That's Madlik Besog Shalom. That we learned that yesterday, Rova gave the explanation. We're going to fil- read this like Rashi does, so we don't have any problems with these lines. But you lit in your own uh, rishus, and it spread to the rishus of your neighbor. So in such a case, there's an exemption of tamun. However, if you directly lit in your neighbor's rishus, then you don't have an exemption of Tomun. Now there we said there are two levels, and that's where we're going to have to fit it into the wording coming up here. We said if you lit your neighbor's, uh, uh, if made a fire in your neighbor's rishus, and then it spread to other things that he had, you, uh, it spread to other items that he had, so in such a case, you will have to pay for hidden items assuming that those items were expected to be there. So in a stack of grain on the, on, on a, in, a farm, in a farm, you'd expect to find uh, uh, the yoke of a, uh, uh, that, that the animal plows with, or utensils, that are plow utensils, that you will expect to find there. A wallet inside the stack you would not have expected. So the Chachamim would say that there you're still exempt on the wallet because you didn't expect it to be there, but you are chayev on the utensils that should be there. Whereas according to Yehuda, you're chayev always for utensils, irrespective of what they are. Where there is a complete agreement between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda is if you burn someone's house down. You burn someone's house down, then the expectation, then, then anything, people keep everything inside the house. The expectation is you're chayev for all the things that are there, and there you will have to pay for for anything that's contained in the house. Now, the, the, the difference in, 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 in whether you did it in your own domain and it spread, or you did it in the person's domain, when you do it in your own domain, so then you can call it the mazik of Aish. But when you're doing it in somebody else's domain, then it's Adam HaMazik. You're trespassing and you're directly causing the damage, so therefore it doesn't follow the regular laws of Aish, but it has other rules applying to it in terms of expectations and what the person can be held liable for or not. Now let's see how it fits into the wording of our Bryce and I'll show you how Rashi changes this to accommodate the explanation we just gave. So it says like this, We're talking about the fire, top of the fire was made within the, uh, 
the perpetrator's rishus, and it spread to your neighbor's field. However, if you live in your neighbor's field, now the version of our b'risa is you pay for everything that's within the field. But that Rashi says, Rashi changes that it's not correct because we say you don't pay for everything. What do you pay for? According, at least according to the Rachamim, you pay for what's expected. What is expected to be there? Not because again, it's no longer Aish, It's Adam Amazik, but you don't pay for a wallet that's in the stack because you, in, when you light inside the person's field, you only pay for those vessels that are hidden that are expected to be there. That's why Raji changes it. Rav Metaret's law, the Tamei. Rav explains it according to the way he explained yesterday. Shadarka and Lahatman Begadish for those vessels which normally would be hidden in the stack. And therefore, Rashi does not have the gear, so you mashalem kol mashabasoch. He takes out the word kol. It's mashalem mashabasocho, but that which is what is inside it, which is expected to be inside it. But those things that are not expected to be inside it, according to Chacham, you would not pay. However, Moder Rabbi Yehuda the Chacham, Rabbi Yehuda will agree to the Chacham, and when there will be a complete agreement, the mashal mokum. I'm sorry, let, 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 they're starting a new thing now. So the point is like this. So now, what happens? And then more than that, the Bryce continues that there will not be a machlokus of Tamun in the following situation. Let's say that Ruvain gave Shimon permission to put a stack of grain in, uh, in Ruvain's yard. So now in such a case, Shimon has permission to put the stack there. All right? Now what happens if Ruvain made a fire in his backyard and he didn't control it, and it went and burnt the stack of grain that uh, of 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 of, uh, of Shimon's. Then now Shimon was allowed to be there; wasn't trespassing. So, what is Ruvain's liability on Shimon's stack of grain? That's what we're discussing over here. So it says there, Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim will both agree is that in such a case, we said before, normally there was a machlokus between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. In certain cases, whether you pay for hidden items, you don't pay for hidden items. So let's again, let's take a look. Tell me what you guys think. You have over here, Ruvain says, uh, uh, Ruvain says to Shimon, you can bring your stack into my, uh, in, in, into my uh, field. And let's go with the Chacham sheet. Uh, isn't that also means that I'll watch it. I'll take responsibility for it. You don't have to say it. Well, you know, I don't say it, or according right. to, let's say, Rebbe Shita, that you actually did say I'll watch it for you, fine. Now what happens is, Shimon put items inside the stack that Reuven was not aware of. Reuven makes a fire, burns down Shimon's stack. What should Reuven be held, Reuven be held responsible for? The stack and not what's inside of it. Even Rabbi Yehuda will agree to that, because the, what he accepted the Shmira over was the stack. He didn't expect what to do inside it. So that where it will not be a machlokus here between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachavim. So therefore, that's what it's saying. So, Moder Yehuda lechachamim, the Mashal Malkum lechavero, where Reuven rented out his, or lent, lent out his place for Shimon to use. Lahagdish to play make a stack, a godish, the higdish, and Shimon made the stack. The hitmin ba, the hitmin, and he hid things inside it. She'ain b'shalom elad me godish belvad. That Reuven only has to pay for the stack itself and not for the items in there because he never accepted shmira over those things that are hidden inside. Right uh, now, continues. Next case. Let's say Shimon, Reuven gave Shimon a permission to stack a stack of wheat. Now wheat is more expensive than barley. So he gave him the right to stack, to put in a stack of wheat. And by the way, the, the, the logic is that if, if the, the more expensive the item that you're giving permission to keep there, that means I'm taking greater responsibility on what you're bringing in. So anyway, he gave him a right to stack in wheat. And he did not put wheat. He went and he put barley. He stacked it with barley, right? Barley's more value? Less, less, less value, value. Right? now. Or the other way around. Let's say Sa'orin, he got permission for barley, but uh, what Shimon did is he went and stacked a higher valuable commodity. He went and stacked wheat. Third case, he stacked wheat, but the outer cover he covered with barley, which makes it look like that the entire thing is barley, even though beneath the first layer 
was actually the wheat which he had permission for. And Seorin, let's say he got permission for barley, Vechipan Bechit, in the outer layer here, he made wheat, which makes it all look like wheat. Now, in all, in all these cases, let's say Ruvain, the homeowner, the, uh, the farmer, made a fire, did not watch it well, and it went and burned down the stack. So we're going to go through all four cases. But in all four cases, the, the, the level of liability that you can hold the farmer to, he won't have to pay more than a pile of barley. All right, now let's go through the four cases and see why that is the case. So the first case was, the first case was that he got permission, uh, where's the place? Uh, for wheat. He got permission for wheat. However, he stacked barley. The fire destroyed a stack of barley. So now even though you could say, well, you took liability to watch a higher level liability for a more expensive commodity, that might be the case. But at the end of the day, my fire only destroyed barley. So therefore, the most you can hold me responsible, obviously, is for barley. Now, the other way around, you got permission for barley and you put in wheat. Now, it's true, I'm negligent, my fire destroyed your pile, but I only accepted the responsibility of the level of barley. Even though it destroyed wheat, the most I can, you can claim from me is if that would have been barley. That's case number two. Case number three, you got permission for wheat, but you covered it on top with barley. The farmer can say is that I thought, because you made it look like this barley, that it's considered only barley, okay? And I did not take full responsibility for barley if I wasn't as careful because you only get, you had permission for wheat, but it made it look like it was barley. I'll pay you for the full thing of barley. I don't have to pay for wheat because the way you make it look, that's what I assume that it's gonna be. And the last one is that uh, you got permission for uh, barley, barley, and you covered it with wheat. So now obviously over there too, the only thing that was destroyed at the end of the day was barley, and therefore I have to pay you only for barley. So that's in all four cases it comes out, you have to pay for barley. The bigger chiddush of all three is where you took the responsibility for wheat, but since the guy made it look like barley, even though underneath there was weed, you still can say, yes, I pay you for what it looked like. To me, it looked like you did something not what I had agreed. It looked like you were barley, and therefore I'm only paying you for barley. All right, I'm a rubber. So rubber brings down, we're going to see that it's a similar concept. Let's say, I don't know why it uses a woman over here, but I know send dinar zahav le'isha. Interesting why it's a woman. But a person gives a dinar zahav to a woman to watch. All right? So he gives a woman a, a dinar zahav to watch, for Amar Allah, he says to her, he's Haribo, shall Kesef. He doesn't tell her that it's gold. He tells her that it's silver. All right? She's not adept enough to know that it's actually gold. He tells her it's silver, right? Now, what happened was, Kesefu, Hezikatu, she took a hammer and she smashed it, right? It, it, it wiped it out. There, she's going to have to pay gold. Now, this is a very important point. Meaning, there's one thing to say what level of shmirah I'm responsible for something. But if you actively damage something, I don't care what level of shmirah you have, but you cannot take somebody else's property and smash it. And if you take someone else's property and you mazik their property, you're going to be held responsible for the full value of the property, irrespective of what level of shmirah you had over this item. So even though she thought that she is smashing a dinar of silver, because that's what you told her it was, at the end of the day, she's going to be liable for the damage she caused. And what is the damage she caused? She's going to have to pay for a dinar of gold. Right? So that wasn't similar to the cases we had before. Because the case we had before, the farmer didn't on purpose like the other guy's stuff. What happened over there, the purpose, it, it spread to the thing. Now, dinar, so therefore, dinars of, uh, because the, uh, the man can say to the woman, my what right did you have with it to ask us that you should go ahead and cause that, directly damage it? You had no right to go ahead and be massacred. But let's say Pasha boy, let's say she was negligent with it, meaning she didn't lock the door or she didn't watch it well and it got stolen. Now the question is like this, this would be similar to the case we had before, is 
you told her you should watch a silver dinar. But really you gave her a gold dinar. Now it got stolen. Now, she can say, she's going to say that the level of Shmira that you required for me was the level of Shmira for a silver dinar. Gold dinar, I would have had a different level of Shmira. Therefore, now that it gets stolen, the most you can ask her to pay you what? Will be a silver dinar because that's what you asked her to watch. That's what she accepted. To Amra Lake is now she can say to him. I think that's why it actually says uh, male and female because then what he said to her, she said it's easier to understand the pronouns of who's talking in the case. To Amra Lake, she says to him, right, the uh, the woman who was negligent in the Shmira, the Tiruza the Kasba Kabili Alai. I accepted on myself a shmira of silver. I did not accept on myself a higher level shmira for gold. All right. So now, This concept that a person can only be held for, uh, responsible for a shmira on the level of shmira that you told him what the item was that's being watched. Even if the item ended up being a higher level thing, you cannot hold him responsible. And as long as he doesn't actively damage it, but if it's damaged through a negligence of a shmira, you can only hold him to responsible of what he was told that he's watching. You bringing a raya from the Amora Rava. Rava said it explicitly. He says, Atun, but the Rava matnitula. You taught it from the statement of Rava. But Anam matnisab shitalon. We were able to uh, 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 realize this obviously that that's the pshan from the b'risa that we just said at the beginning of today's daf. Why? What does it say in the b'risa? If you accepted on yourself to do a shmira, you allowed the person to stack up a wheat, but that person went and he covered the top of it to make it look like it was barley, or sa'orin, or it was barley, you accepted uh, barley and he covered it in wheat. Either way, if you were negligent with the fire, so if you were negligent with the fire, so what's the case? The most you can hold the person responsible for is to pay for barley. Now why is that? So Alma we see, Amale is that the, uh, the, the farmer can say to the owner of the stack is that even though you put wheat, but I only accepted on myself a shmira over barley and therefore the fact that the damage was caused was a high level damage you can only hold me responsible to the level of what i accepted by myself the shmira so you have brought the raya from the amora rava i can bring a raya from centuries earlier from the brisa itself it seems to me that's the shot so therefore uh uh achanami uh so therefore, just as they have Amar Lei, Nitiruzu Seiri Kabili Alai, Hachinami Amra Lei, Nitiruzu Dava Lo Kabili Alai. So the same way over there, the person would say, I didn't accept myself a Shmir of wheat, only a Shmir of barley. In the case that you brought down from Rava, she's able to say, I only accepted myself a coin that is a silver coin. I did not accept on myself a coin that's a gold coin. That level of liability, I did not accept myself. So even though that's what you gave her, but since you told her it was silver, she only has to pay for silver, not gold. Okay. We're holding the first wide line on some of Bezim and Aleph. All right. Amarav, Shmois Milsel of Yehuda, Velo Yadana, Maihi. So, Rav Yehuda. Rav says like this Rav says that I heard something from uh, concerning uh, the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda, and I'm not sure. Uh, that what exactly I don't remember exactly what it what it was right so Rabbi Yehuda uh, it's actually interesting Rav's Rebbe was Rabbeinu Hakadosh Rabbeinu's Hakadosh's Rebbe was Rabbi Yehuda but he says I heard something concerning the position of Rabbi Yehuda the Mishnah concerning Tamun Bekelim things that are hidden in the vessel I don't remember exactly what it was so Amar Shmuel so Shmuel was Rav's Chavrusa. So Shmuel says, yada Abba, my You don't remember? I guess they had discussed it earlier. But Shmuel is going to remind Rav what it is, what nuance that he hear in the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda that he had now forgotten. He says, that concerning a situation of Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda disagreed with the Chachamim. Rabbi Yehuda held that if you light a fire. In the case of the Torah, you light a fire in your domain and you are somewhat negligent and it spreads to your neighbor's 
property and it burns up his field or his stack of grain and there are embedded within the field, embedded within the grain, there are things hidden there, you are going to be held responsible. The Chachamim say they have a positive Sharvala Adam Khamarvala Kalim, that you're not high for Kalim that are Tamun, you're not high for vessels that are hidden within the stack, but we would have learned that you are. Now the point is what 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 uh, what the nuance that Yehuda said is as follows. Let's set forth the scenario. Ruve makes a fire. It spreads into Shimon's field, and it destroys Shimon's field. Okay, Shimon comes along and says, "I had ten thousand dollars worth of kalim inside the field." Now. Ruvain says, prove it. And how, you can't just throw a number at me and, uh, and say, that's what, the, that the, the fact that the Yehuda says, you're high for Tamun, that you're high for anything that was hidden in the field, therefore, how, now what do you have to do? Maybe you have to bring Adam that can show that they were hidden there. Obviously, that would be the best case scenario. However, Ramona says, Yehuda said that there's something else we can do. And it's a special katakana that we allow for victims of theft. What is a takana we allow for victims of theft? Similar situation, okay? Let's say Ruvain broke into Shimon's house and stole, right? Gets caught. But now the question is, what if Shimon says, he stole from me $10,000 worth of property? And we don't have proof. If you have Aiden that know what it was that was stolen, then great. Generally, that's not going to be the case. The guy filled up the back of his car, took off, uh, pawned it. You don't have it anymore. And now Shimon says it was $10,000, okay? Don't have insurance, not covered. I need my $10,000 back. Ruben says, Hamotzi mechavera lavaraya, right? So the Chachamim made a special takono. The K in... in, in, in most of the cases where there's a shvuah in the Torah, Torah obligation for a shvuah, the, the, chacham, the, the, the Torah's responsibility was to swear in order to exonerate myself from paying. Right? You owe me $1,000. No, I only owe you 500 Motive amidst us, swear. So the oath is, I'll take the oath in order not to have to pay. That's the, it's called a shvuah, a shvuah ve'enam ashalem. Nishbah ve'enam ashalem. You swear not to pay. Rabbinically, in certain cases, they instituted that you could be nishbav uh, notel. you can swear to collect. This is one of the cases that for the benefit of a victim of theft, we went ahead and did that. Because obviously you cannot ask the thief to swear. The guy's a thief, I'm gonna go trust him. So therefore, what we allow is, even though there's a motzi mechavero lavaraya, and the thief is saying, prove to me that I stole 10,000, I don't didn't steal 10,000. He can swear to collect what he claims. What, the, 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 what he claims, the victim can swear. So says Rabbi Yehuda, that same takana that they made for cases of theft, they also made it for cases such as this, in the case of Tamun, where there was Caleb hidden in the field, and there is a question, how much was hidden there? Because you're going to have to pay for it. And we don't know how much was there. So if Yehuda says that I will hold that we allow the damaged party to swear that what he says was hidden there, actually was hidden there, and then the perpetrator will have to pay not only for the stack, but for whatever was hidden in there. Now that's according to the sheet of the Rachamim, who, I mean, according to the sheet of Yehuda, who holds you pay for Tomun. Now, even according to the Rachamim, we just learned the beginning of today's daf, at the end of yesterday's daf, there are certain cases where they hold you have to pay for something hidden as well. The Chore would work in those cases according to the Rachamim as well. But the idea, this is called, uh, uh, that uh, that that uh, uh, the mechayv al nisketomen ba'esh also takonus nigzo ba'isho. We made for the case of of, of, the, of the person's fire. The person's fire. They established the uh, the the takona for the nigzo. Now, right? I mean, the takona for the victim of a theft that was put into place. They can swear to collect. Was also applied to the person that was damaged. By the fire of the perpetrator. Clear? Mm-hmm. All right. Boya Maymar. Maymar has the following Shiloh. 
Now there's going to be a lot of raid over here. We're going to learn this as simple as possible, the way Rashi learns this. But the case is as follows. There is something, there is a, there is a concept, there's a heinous crime. In fact, some say that it might even be subject under certain circumstances that you can kill the person. It's called a musser. A musser is a snitch. Somebody that goes to the non-Jewish authorities and he snitches on a fellow Jew, all right? Now, in this case, we're not talking about in a way that could result in a capital offense, something that he might get executed for, but we're talking about a financial one. So therefore, Shimon goes to the authorities and says, Ruvain has property that he has not paid taxes for, or Ruvain has, has hidden property that is hiding away from the authorities. Something that when the authorities find out about it, what are they going to do? They're going to come and confiscate it. All right? So that's what happened over here. Now, uh, Shimon, uh, so, so therefore, Shimon now is, 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 goes to Basedin and he complains to Basedin that Ruvain caused him to lose a certain amount of assets. Now, the same question. We don't know exactly what that amount was. The question what the Gemara wants to know, the same way we said that there's a takona, special takona for somebody that had stuff stolen from him that he can swear to collect, do we allow over Yashimon to swear and collect from the snitch, to collect from the Moser? Right? And you, you got the case. So Gemara says like this. So boy, I'm Mamers. That was a Mamers Shiloh. What are we collecting from the snitch? What he claims was taken, it was confiscated by the authorities because the Mosser went and told the authorities about those assets. Clear? No? Adam? Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Boy, I'm Mamers. Did they make that special Takana, that enactment for for the sake of the victim of a theft, do they apply it by Moser or do they not apply it by Moser? Now, what the Gemara says like this, right? The Gemara says, well, you have to understand over here, this actually is a situation of Garmi. Now, the word Garmi sounds really very similar to the word Grama, right? Now, Grama, we know, is when you cause an indirect damage to someone. And we know that generally the laws of Grama we had that Grama ben Azokin is potter, that if you cause an indirect damage to somebody, even though in Shemayim you could be held chayiv, but in a court of law you cannot. Now Rashi learns there's no difference by Garmi and Grama. They're the same thing. So therefore, so what the basic what the Gemara is saying is this Shiloh only makes sense according to the opinion that holds your chayiv for an indirect damage. Because if you're not chayiv for indirect damage, then there's obviously not going to be an oath that's going to allow me to go ahead and collect how much it was, because at the end of the day, you don't have to... So this Shiloh, this, if you hold that on Garmi, which according to Rashi is the same as Groma, you are Chayiv, do we allow the victim over here to swear to collect from the perpetrator, from the person that went and, and, uh, and, 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 and snitched on you? That would be... The, that's how Rashi learns it. However, Taisvis and many of the other Rishonim make a distinction between Grama, which for sure you're Potter in the case of Grama, to Garmi. Now what that distinction is, is beyond the scope of Dafyomi, but different Rishonim have different ways of saying there's something that's considered less indirect or more indirect. That It comes out, we had this before, where remember when somebody threw something out the window and you pulled away the pillow, and now it's smashed on the ground. That's where we get into Dina de Garmi. Is it the same thing as Grama? Is it different than Grama? But Rashi avoids all that problem because Rashi says there's no difference in other place in Shah's. Grama, Garmi, all the same thing. All right. So I'll leave the man to Amar, Garmi, that we do not judge, adjudicate in a court of law. Garmi cases, because it's indirect, so so you have no Shiloh. The Messirus Nami Loi Dainina. So in this case, we want to adjudicate a case of Mosser. It's also indirect. And therefore, there's no Shiloh. Can he swear or not? Because we don't, we don't adjudicate that kind of a case. Where does a name of Shiloh have pertinence? Is, uh, it, where does it pertain to specifically Aliba 
where he holds that for garmi cases you would be chayiv even though it's indirect. So then this question is: Also, takanas nigzal the Muslim, Did they uh, do we uh, enact the to the takana for a uh, nigzal in a case of a Muslim, The mishtab to allow the victim to swear and collect from the perpetrator, or like and take with the one who remains unresolved. Ahu gavra, there was a situation and there was a certain person. The botash the kaspeto the chavre. In modern Hebrew, a safe is a kasefet. In modern Hebrews, this too, this was some kind of small container that people kept cash in it. So what happened over here, Ruvain came along and gave a good kick to the safe. Somehow it was, mustn't have been so heavy. And he kicked it, Shadye Benahara, kicked it into the middle of a river. All right, gone, goodbye safe. Now what's the question over here? Is the owner of the safe claims that what? The safe was full of Money, but we don't know. We have no idea how much was in there. So what do you do over here? So Asamare, so the owner of the safe comes. I had I had uh, fifty thousand dollars in the safe. The gavah within it. So Yosef Ravashi become a ayin. So Ravashi sat and began investigating, then analyzing. Bay What should we do in such a situation? Meaning lechora. The question really is. Should we allow the victim to swear in order to collect from the perpetrator? So Amalei Ravina Ravacha Bereid Rava. So Ravina said to Ravacha, the son of Rava, he says Amalei some said was Ravacha Bereid Rava said to Ravashi, Lav Ayne Matnisin. Would that not be similar to our Mishnah? This not related to Mishnah. That Modim Chachamim had a case that even though the Chachamim held that you're not fired for tamun, for embedded or hidden things in a field where you cause the fire. And even if you cause the fire in the person's, other person's property, you're not fired for things you don't expect to be there. But if you burn down a house where all items are expected to be in the house, what did the Mishnah say? That the Rachamim would agree to Yehuda that you are held liable for all the items that are within the house. So therefore it said, somebody burnt down a large house, that you have to pay for everything that's within it. Why Because that's, it's expected that people keep all types of things within the house. Now, means what if there's an expectancy for the item that's within it to be there, then the perpetrator is responsible. So here too, money is expected to be what? In a safe. And therefore, now, it is true, it is true, the amount, or even in the case of the house, what was in the house, we don't know for sure, but Lechorah, from the wording is that the, 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 the perpetrator is going to hold responsibility and responsible, that Lechorah means that we are going to make, we're going to allow the victim to swear in order to go like, so Lechorah, what's your question? It should be over here, it should be the same thing. So, so, uh, so, so therefore, basically, he was asking, uh, who was the, uh, 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 Rav Ashi, he was asking Rav Ashi, what are you concerned about? What are you, what are you analyzing here? So you're right. If the claim of the owner of the safe was there was money in it, now these items were specifically the norm was it was used to keep cash. But the problem over here, he's not claiming that it was cash. He says, Acha the in Marganisa. He says there was a pearl. He said I had a pearl. Now that's what I'm 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 questioning over here. Do we consider it the norm? Put a pearl in such a container because if it's the norm, then it's no different than cash. Then it can swear and collect. But if it's not the norm, we're not going to make the takana to take away from Amoti Mechavero Lavaraya on something which is not the norm and does not support the claim of the claimant. That's the issue over here. So, me, Manche, Inchi, do people normally put pearls in a, uh, in, in a safe? Maybe not. Take with that child is unresolved. Amalei Rabbi Yemar Ravashi. Rabbi Yemar said to Rav Ashi the following. Ta'in kasa My. What if the owner of the house claims that he had a very expensive silver goblet inside the house? 
All right? So now, we just said before, things that are normally within the house, you can make an oath and you can collect from the perpetrator. All right? So here he's claiming there was a very expensive goblet. All right? So Amale, he says like this, that you have to do a little bit of investigation. You have to investigate what's the financial status of the owner of the house. Is the owner of the house somebody that would normally be holding onto such an expensive item? So, Chazina, uh, so we have to see. E inish Ahmed, if he's a wealthy for a person who is the Kasva, which makes sense, that he would have amongst his vessels a silver goblet, so then you can claim that he did anyway, allow him to swear to collect. Inami, inish mehemnahu, or he's a very trustworthy individual. Now why does it make a difference if he's a very trustworthy individual? It's possible therefore that what? He did have something. Why? He's a trustworthy. Because people give him things to expensive uh, stuff to watch. So therefore, the mafkidi in shigabe, people give him items to watch. So then, we will let him swear. The the dakana the for the nigzal is in place, and we let him swear to collect. But he love, but again, this is like if it wouldn't be the norm to keep pearls in a safe. Same idea. If it's not the norm that this person would be holding on to something like that, we're not going to enact the takana where the item is not supporting the claim, is not supporting the type of item this person would normally have. So a lot called kamina. It's not within his ability to make such a claim. And unfortunately, he will not be able to collect. You'll have to bring aid him. That's the only way he'll be able to do it. Amalei Rav Ada, Bereidu Rav Aviel Rav Ashi. Ma ben Gazlan Nechamsen. We find one Sanhedrin talks about the people that are qualified to testify, to be unbased in. There are two types of people that illegally take items that don't belong to them. One is called a Gazlan, and one is called a Chamsen. A Gazlan, we know, is a person who's a robber. Okay? We don't know exactly what is the difference of Chamsen. What does it mean a Chamsen takes things? from somebody in an illegal manner that disqualifies him. What does that mean? What is a chamsen exactly? What's the difference between a gazlan and a chamsen? So amalei, chamsen yoiv dmei, gazlan lo yoiv dmei. He says the difference is like this. A gazlan takes without pain. A chamsen, he makes you an offer that you can't refuse, right? He says, you give me this or I'll break your leg, all right? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll pay you for it, and he, and he pays. So the difference between a robber and a chamsen is what? Force. No, they're both lost. Did you pay the guy? The robber doesn't pay for the oh, item. The Khamsen says, the Khamsen pays for it. He just forced you into the yeah, sale. They both put a gun to your head. Yeah, or, 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 or phys- physically, thre- physically right. threatened you, right. The Amale, because we say putting a gun to your head could even be a gun, according to okay. some opinions. Now, the one wants to know if a person actually paid for it. Now, obviously, it cannot be talking about that he paid you below what it's worth. I mean, it's a thousand dollar item. He says, take five dollars for it, or uh, you know, then it's then he's a goslin. He stole nine hundred ninety five dollars from you. Then there's no difference because the five obviously what he gave you, but he's giving but, but he's giving you fair value. Now the one wants to know. Well, if he's giving you fair value, okay, you know what? He's not going to be on the top thirty six Lamed Vav Tzadikim list. But at the end of the day, what we're gonna, it's, a, it's considered to be legally a sale. We're going to see you cannot even take him to court to ask for the item back. So why would that disqualify him under the category of a chamson? It's not really a theft. At the end of the day, you've got your money's worth. That's what one wants to know if he paid. What is it like this? If he gave the full value, then chamson, why are you calling him a chamson? Why does that disqualify him as a chamson? Not a nice guy, but the man. Rav Huna said like this, if they hung a person up, they strung up a person, sell me this land, sell me this property, sell me this item, and you're hanging him up from his foot, all right? And finally he says, and he says, you know what, I agree. Sign on the dotted line, he signs, and you paid him full value. Zvine, zvine. You cannot go back on that sale. That sale is a valid sale, even though the person only sold, right, because of the duress of being threatened. But at the end of the day, if he acquiesces, so then he, act, he meant to sell it. Ah, he meant to sell it, not because he really wanted to sell it, but he meant to sell it because he wanted to protect himself. At the end of the day, that is legally considered to be a binding sale. So what I want to know, so then why is a Hamsun disqualified like a Goslin if at the end of the day, when you force someone to sell something and he agrees to sell it, it's considered to be a valid sale, right? That's the question. 
It's much like kosher. It's not difficult. Well, Why is it on a mecca's toes? I mean, if you, that, you know, that's the rule. The rule is at the end of the day, it gets into when you finally say it, did you mean it? Like by a get. When they pressure, if they, he means it. If, if he knows he means it, it might be pressured, but he does. It's not that he doesn't mean it. He means it. He means it. It's binding. So when it says, that's the difference over here. There it's talking about at the end, what did he say? He said, Mozart, he agreed. Over here, you basically said, I'm going to break your arm unless you give it to me. And, and you throw the money at him, but he never said at any point that what? He agrees. He never said Rotani. How do I Rotani? So that makes him into a, ga- a Khamsin under the category like a Goslin. The difference is, if a Goslin doesn't pay, the Khamsin pays, but they are both are involved in a certain type of theft. I you string a guy up that's considered to be a valid sale, but that's only because at the end the guy says, I agree. In a case where a guy doesn't agree, then in fact you could actually get it back in a court of law because the fact that you never said, I agree, is not a binding sale, and that makes the guy into a chamsen. That's why he violates. By the way, the Rambam brings down that even when you say, I agree, the person still violates the prohibition of losach mode. In the Ten Commandments, you have Dosach mode, you're not allowed to uh, covet. So even if you got the guy you, you, by the, under the duress to say, I agree, that might make, not make you a Hamsin, but you still are in violation of the laws of Dosach mode. That's the Ramadan. But doesn't it also say with regards to get? You could force it out of the guy? That is, that, that's why in, in the case of a get, when the guy is based in does it and he agrees, the get's binding. Ah, they had to break a couple of uh, arms and a kneecap along the way. It doesn't matter. That's the halacha, right? But don't try it at home. All right, let's go. Zog the Heilige Mishnah. This is one of the few cases in Shas where there is a reference to Hanukkah, as we've spoken out. Some sulfur says based on a Ramban that Rabbeinu Kodesh did not make a Mishnah of Hanukkah like he did Megillah because he was upset the Chashmonoyim who were from the Shevet of Levi took upon themselves the Malchus, which was supposed to be for the Shevet of Yehuda, that Rabbeinu HaKadosh came from. Okay. That's not the Mishnah. Gates. Gates is a spark. That escaped from underneath the anvil, the hammer. The guy was clopping away. And it went out into the Rishus Rabim, the Hizik, and it damaged. Okay. It shot out and it damaged something caught on fire uh, outside of the, uh, of the store and burned. All right? Chayev, the owner of the, the, the one who, 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 who is the blacksmith, is going to have to pay for it. Gamal Shahayaton Pish, that we dealt with this extensively earlier in the Mesechta and Chavdeis. All right? We have like this a Gamal Shahayaton Pishton. You overloaded your camel and you put. Uh, flax, uh, 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 stalks of flax that were too wide, okay? And for other Bishusarabim, and it's walking in a public place where it's allowed to walk, but what happens is that the flax entered into a store, Benichnas Pishtanolusechachanus, Vedilkai Beneiro Shokhenvani, and caught fire from the, the existing flame that was in the shopkeeper's store. And it caused the entire structure to burn down. Baal Gamal Chayev, the owner of the camel, is going to have to pay for this. Now, we had a huge machlokas of Yochanan Mishlokish, which was based on is the prohibition of age because of Chitzov. Chitzov, is it your arrows? Or is it mamono? Is it like your the fire is like your animal? And we had explained di- two different ways of how to understand this Mishnah based on Rabbi Yochanan's way of understanding and based on Rish Lokha's way of understanding. Look back on Chav Beis if you want to see the two different ways. Now, let's say the, 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 the negligence here was on the Chenvoni because instead of having the candle inside his uh, uh, store, he put it on the outside of his store, which is in a public domain where people have a right to walk. Hachenvani Chayev, there, if uh, it causes damage, it, uh, may, uh, ca- catching fire to, uh, to, uh, to uh, the, the, the camels or things that are walking by, so then the Chenvani will be responsible because he is the one that is negligent. How is he negligent? He's fire outside. Correct. 
Now, Rabbi Yehuda says there is an exception to the rule. Rabbi Yehuda Omar, Bener Hanukkah Potter. Because Ner Hanukkah, you're supposed to light outside, and therefore the rabbis gave a pass. And the responsibility of watching that the fire would not catch the merchandise walking in the Rishus Rabin, that becomes the responsibility of the owner of the camel in such a case, and not the owner of the store. Now, the Chachamim disagree. They don't, they don't seem to agree with that. They hold that if you light Hanukkah candles outside, so you have to sit there and, watch and make sure that they don't catch onto any coming person. So that's the argument. Yehuda says, once we let you light outside, then it's not your responsibility anymore. It's the other guy's responsibility. But the Chachamim say, no. The fact we let you light outside, because we, even though normally it's negligence to do that, we give you permission to do it. But it doesn't mean that you're not responsible if it, doesn't, if it catches on fire to someone's merchandise walking by. Okay. So let's see the Gemara. Amar Ravina, Mishmei Derova. Shmami, no, we can derive from the Rabbi Yehuda, from the words of Rabbi Yehuda that holds that you're exempt in the case of Hanukkah candles, is that Ner Hanukkah mitzvah la'anicha b'soch that it must be that the mitzvah of lighting candles is with intent fachim to the ground. Why? What's, why is it proof that that's where the optimum place to light Hanukkah candles are? Because if in fact, optimally you can light much higher, then why should Rabbi Yehuda say that the shopkeeper is exempt? What the shopkeeper should have done, even though you have a right to light Hanukkah candles, you should have lit them high enough that what? It would be out of the way. That would be out of the way of the passing camels and the passing riders going by. The fact that you didn't light it that high and you still consider it to be exempt must be because you didn't have the option to light that high because it's not the optimum place to light for Hanukkah candles. That's what the Gemara wants to bring a raya. Okay? So therefore... These are kadaitach lamal asara that you're actually able to light higher than tent fachim. So then amai amar of Yehuda ner Hanukkah potter. Then why do Yehuda say that the shopkeeper is exempt? Lema le hava le la anucha lamala migamal What he should have said is that the you're okay. You have a right to light, but you should light it higher yeah, than the camel and the rider, the rider and the camel, so they won't bump into the Hanukkah candles. And you'll be completely clear. The fact that he holds you potter means that you don't have that option because it has to be done with intent vachim of the ground. So Mara says, El mitzvah must be that the mitzvah is to do with intent vachim for the ground. So Amr, Amri, the Bnei Yeshiva pushed back. This is not really such a raya, right? Maybe you could light higher. Your yotz, if you light lower, but maybe you can light higher. However, it's Amri Loy. Really, even higher than Tent Fachim, you could light. So the question is, well, if you could have lit higher than Tent Fachim, then what? Then why didn't you? And then you should be higher then. You should be higher. So my Amr, so what are you going to say? See, you should have made it high enough that a camel and its rider are able to go past freely without bumping into your Hanukkah candle. He says like this, listen, that's going to be a huge hassle. I'm going to have to make some type of scaffold. I'm going to have to make such a thing. We, 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 once you have on you the pressure of lighting Hanukkah candles, we don't want to add any more pressure to the guys having to light. And therefore, once we say you can light, we're going to make it easier to light in the most, the easiest way to light, which is within 10 Tvachim. Ah, you could have done it. That burden we're going to put on the camel driver, on him it'll be a responsibility. But it doesn't mean you can't light higher. You could, but we weren't going to put that pressure on you that you have to go ahead and do it because it's difficult enough to make sure that you get it done, that you have to start now worrying about these other nuances, that it has to be high enough, that it's going to make it too hard for the guy to do it. So what it says like this, Cave in the Mitzvah Ka'asik, since he's already involved, he has the pressure of dealing with the mitzvah. Kulahai, to that extent, Lo'atrachurabona, we did not trouble him to do what? To light it higher. To light it higher. All right, the halacha, by the way, is it is the mitzvah, the optimal mitzvah is ten fachim to the ground. That is the optimal. We do pass them like that ruling of Rav. Amar Rav Kahana, Doresh Rav Nosen bar minyumi mishmei Rabbi Tanchum. So Rav Kahana said that Rav Nosen taught publicly in the name of Tanchum, Ner Hanukkah sheniach l'malam esrim amma. If you lit your Hanukkah candle higher than 20 amas, psula, it becomes disqualified 
Just like a sukkah, the schach cannot be more than 20 amas off the ground. And just like a mavoi, when you're adjusting the fourth side of an alley in order to allow you to carry within the alley, so you have to adjust by putting a, a beam across the fourth side, that beam has to be in a place that people are able to see. It has to be less than 20 amas off the ground. Same thing. Hadranallah hakonas, hadranallah hakonas, hadranallah hakonas. Ez Shem Baruch. We are now beginning the seventh parak of Maseches Baba Kama. All right. Four years ago, today, we were in Poland making the Siyam Ashas in Poland, 2nd of January last year. Four years, ago. four years ago. Yeah, so we're four years in, gentlemen. Four years in. More than that. That was right before COVID, January 2020. That was right in the middle of COVID. We were before, running. We were, we, were, we were running around Poland during COVID right in Europe. Pre, pre. No, it was actually yeah. in, in Europe already. It was already, it was already, already there. there. No, but oh. nobody knew about it. In Italy, they were already getting decimated. And anyway, okay. Let's go right I think that was one of the, one of the nisim of the Siomashas is that it hadn't hit the United States. If you have 100,000 Jews in Giant Stadium going back to every single community in the country and it had hit and it proliferated, the devastation would have been much greater. But thank God that's not what happened. All right, let's go right Zog the Eilig Mishnah. Meruba midas tashlume keifel, midas tashlume arba v'chamisha. The... Knas, the penalty of having to pay the double so the double penalty when you steal is uh, has much broader applications than does the dalad vehay, the penalty of paying four or five times for slaughtering a sheep or a or, or an ox. Why? Kefal applies by stealing. Again, it's, it's Geneva. Geneva, you pay double when it's done surreptitiously. Gezela, where you do, or you do it in front of the person, the robbery, you only pay Karen. So there's no, we're not talking about where you're paying the principal. We're talking about you pay the Kefal. That's by Geneva, you pay the Kefal, and it's on both animate and inanimate objects. On animate and ejection, whether it has ruchaim, does not have ruchaim, you pay kefal. Where there's midas tashlumi arba chamisha, paying for dalad vehei, enemish nohegas elabeshar vishtebelvat, only applies to the theft of stealing a shar and seh, that can result in dalad vehei, but nothing else. Shanemra ki yignoid ish shar oiseh, utzavacha emacharo, and there it's very specific to a shar and a seh four or five times. So, all right, now, second halacha, what do you think? Ruvain goes and steals something, and then Shimon steals it from Ruvain. All right? So now, what would you say, let's say Ruvain stole a sheep, and Shimon stole it from, Shimon, from Ruvain, and Shimon shechted it. Do you pay Dalit Behei, or, uh, uh, or, 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 or do you pay even Kefal? Does the second, what's the liability of the second thief after the first thief? So let's even talk about cave. Let's not even talk about an animal right now. You stole a you stole a a, 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 a crystal vase, and the second guy comes and steals it from you. So let's see. So the gon of Ahraganov does not pay kefal, right? And similarly, somebody who slaughters or shechted after the after the first gneva. He doesn't pay Damasham Arbeva Khamish, he don't pay Dalad Vehe. Now that's we can explain. Whenever there's no Kefal, it cannot be Dalad Vehe. Kefal is Dalad Vehe is predicated on there being a Kefal. So if there's no Kefal, there's no Dalad Vehe. And since Agon of Akhraganov, there's no Kefal, then it can also not, a Tavech after Ganov can also not lead to a case of Dalad Vehe. Now there is a huge machlokus over here uh, in the Akronim. I believe there's a there's a Ktsosia that Chazanish talks about. <coughs> the, the implication of the Mishnah is the second guy does not have to pay Kefal, but what about the Karen? The principal? Does he have to pay the principal at all? Right? So uh, that's the question. That's a machlokas in the in the so if the item is inexistent, everyone holds you have to give back the item. The item itself, but let's say it doesn't exist anymore. Do you have to pay the principal? And to who, you, to who do you pay the principal? So that is a discussion, but careful for sure there is not. And Rashi brings down a positive because it says, 
Rabbanon says that you pay when you steal it from the house of the owner. And when you steal it from another thief, you're not stealing it from the house of the owner. So there's no kefal in that case. The difficulty with the Rashi over here, we're not going to get into, that passage is not written by the owner, it's written by a shomer. And uh, there, you have to understand how that works. Anyway, let's see the Gemara. Now, the Gemara points out the following. There is a discussion, there's a machlokas, by a case of Tolentanus Ganav. So let's talk about, that. we had this before. You give Reuven an item to watch. Okay? You give Reuven an item to watch, and he claims that it was stolen. Now, let's say it's Tomar Shomer Chinam. Shomer Chinam claims it's stolen. He has the option to do what? He can swear. He, he can swear. He makes a shvua, and then he doesn't have to pay because no chayv in Gnei Vaveda. All right? Now, when he swears, okay, now what happens is after he swore, we actually found that it wasn't stolen from him, but he himself, he went and stole it. He was the one who stole it. He pocketed it. All right? So now in such a case, the Torah we already learned, Tolentine has got to pay careful. With me? So if he swore, if he didn't swear, then it never came to his hands in a usser way because it was given to him. What makes it like it's now a new act of theft when he swears. He swears, he becomes like a ganav. Let's say, let's go with that Hesber. Okay, so he swears, be careful. The Rizamach is what happens if in a, it was a shor or a seh, and now not only did he, did, he, did he swear falsely, but then he proceeded to either shecht it or sell it. Does this guy have to pay kefal as, uh, uh, does he have to pay dalad vehey as well? So for sure he has to pay kefal. Tantan has gone up with an oath, has to pay kefal. The Reza Machlok is, do we also make him pay dalad vehey if he did what? If he slaughtered it and he's already sold, or, or he sold it. That's the Machlok. Now, what the Mora is pointing out over here, the fact that it only gave the difference between Kefal and Dalad Vehei in a case, was it an inanimate or an animate, or was it a Shoraseh? It never said, another difference between them is that a Tolentine is Ganev only pays Kefal, he doesn't pay Dalad Vehei. So that might, must imply that a person that's Tolentine is Ganev also pays Dalad Vehei. So you can't make the distinction by a Tolentine is Ganev, because otherwise you could say, the other extinction is that a Tolentine is Ganev only pays Kefal, which means it's got the, it's, uh, but uh, even if it's a shore or a seat, only pays kefal, but does not pay dal vehe. There will be another difference between kefal and dal vehe. It doesn't make that distinction. What does that imply? That the Torah and Tanah do pay dal vehe. That's what the Morris says. The ilu, however, midas touch my kefal, no hekes, bain, beganav, bain, beton is ganav. He pays whether it was theft, whether it was. Uh, it was, uh, 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 whether it's a regular theft or even if it's a Tontanus Ghana, you would have to pay uh, It doesn't say that, that it doesn't apply by the Tontanus Ghana, only by the Ghana of the Tontanus Ghana. Lokatani, it doesn't say that. So Messiah Leila Rabchir Bar Abba, this supports the contention of Rabchir Bar Abba. Dam Rabchir Bar Abba, Am Rabbi Yechran, Hatontanus Ghana. But because if someone claims that an object that was given to him to watch, that it was stolen from him, and he swore to that, and then we find out that he himself was the one who stole it, he would have to pay the kefal. And if he would then proceed to slaughter or sell it, this supports it because it's not given as a distinction. It's much that both things apply by Tony Tanis Kaveh. There's another version of uh, how the Chakvatari and the base Medrash went concerning our Mishnah. So Egeda Ami, Lema Messiah in the, the second base Medrash, the way it was brought down, can we bring this as a proof? The first version is, it supports him. The second one, does it support him? Why? Lema Messiah Abba, He says that if somebody claims that a Bikadon, an object that was given to him to watch, was stolen from him, and the fact that it doesn't bring this as a distinction supports his contention that there is no distinction between a Ganav and a Tontan as Ganav. Both of them are able to pay Kefal and Dalit Vehei in the case of a Shorvaseh. Now the Gemara says it's not such a good Raya because if our Mishnah would have said Ein Bain, that there is no difference between 
Then you could say that all the distinctions are being met, mentioned. Our Mishnah just says is that there are greater applications by one over the other. But who says it's an exhaustive list? I mean, that could have also been brought down as a difference. But since our mission never said there's no other differences, so then how do you know that this is an exhaustive list? And that could still be a difference. Me, Katani, Ain, Bain doesn't say there's no other difference between them other than these. Meruba Katani means there's greater applications. Greater applications says Tana Vishar, the Tana left out. It's not an exhaustive list, list he left out, and therefore you cannot necessarily bring it as a raya from, for Rabchia Bar Abba. And, and, okay, don't we stop over here. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you, Rabbi. Have a great day. I forgot to listen to what you had yesterday. What's that? Didn't go back and oh. catch up. I it's it's about 10, 10 lines. Yeah. Um.